I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. Millions of Americans watched Thursday as Professor Christine Blasey Ford and Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh defended themselves in front of the world. The hearing comes as the country finds itself in the middle of a modern culture war. This is TikTok. I'm Dave Myers. Today is part one of a two-part series understanding the ramifications of this hearing. Many found Dr. Ford's testimony strong, powerful, and most importantly, credible. But what does this mean for the GOP? And how did issues like the Me Too movement play into the public's consciousness? Joining me now to help answer those questions and much more is Bloomberg News White House reporter Shannon Pettypiece and Bloomberg News gender and diversity reporter Jordan Holman. Jordan, Shannon, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Shannon, let's start with you and, at, and really at the beginning. How were the opening statements from Senators Grassley and Feinstein? So it started off um, for Republicans a little bit rough, and it painted a bit of the picture as to why they wanted to bring in an outside woman mm, yeah. to do the questioning. Um, you know, Grassley came off as angry. He was reading from a prepared statement. He was stumbling over his words. Um, well, though he was attacking the process and Feinstein, it came off as he was attacking um, Professor Ford, you know, even as she was sort of sitting there um you know, nervous-looking, blank stare ahead as he was going on a sort of an angry, um, uh, you know, speech. Uh, switch over to Feinstein, who then, you know, gave a very sympathetic um, statement. But it was sort of both of them getting their um, partisan uh, grandstanding out there right in the beginning. Um, but then it, it, it did shift gears uh, and moved over to where the Republicans had an outside prosecutor who they had brought in who handled most of the questionings while the Democrats continued doing the questioning on their, on their own. And I, and I want to talk about Rachel Mitchell in a moment, but I do want to first talk about Dr. Ford and her opening statement. How did that go and can you describe her demeanor? Well, she, I think from the moment she opened her mouth, um, you could kind of tell that to the tone, um, you know, she had sort of a, um, you know, her voice was, was shaking a little bit. Um, it was hoarse. It, it was almost a very youthful voice. Um, I think if you closed your eyes, you could almost imagine uh, the 15-year-old younger self mm. of her describing this encounter. Um, she admitted she was nervous. Uh, there was nervous laughter. But once she got into reading her opening prepared statement that she um, had, it, I think that was the most powerful part of the whole testimony was her telling in her own words uh, how this event unfolded, um, these details we hadn't heard before um, about the laughter uh, she remembers of her two attackers um, and this laughter at her expense, um, You know, her saying that at one point she looked in the eyes of the other um, um, man who was in the uh, other boy who was in the room sort of pleading quietly pleading for help from him. Um, she talked about them, how inebriated the the two attackers were. She talked about them walking down the steps, sort of ping-ponging off the walls. Mm. So these sort of, um, you know, granular storytelling details we hadn't heard before, I think helps give everybody more of a visceral sense of what a traumatic event this was for her. She even said in part of that opening testimony that during the alleged incident, she was afraid that Kavanaugh was going to accidentally kill her. Right. And that, yeah, and that that 
um, him having her mouth over her, and and she describing um, him as being so um, so drunk, so inebriated that he could have in, inadvertently smothered her. And I mean, she went on to describe how this. Um, issue came up in therapy years later during a renovation of her home when she was insistent on wanting a second exit mm. to the house because of this these fears of anxiety and PTSD and claustrophobia and feeling trapped and somehow having the second exit in her house would help alleviate some of that anxiety. So the way that that manifested um, in her later years in life because of this, that feeling of being trapped um, in this locked room that she describes underneath the weight of um, who she alleges was Brett Kavanaugh with his mouth over her, her, um, his hand over her mouth uh, so she could barely even breathe. She said she was struggling to breathe at that time. I want to ask about Rachel Martin, the chief of the Special Victims Division of the Maricopa County Attorney's Office in Phoenix that the, the Senate Republicans brought in to do their questioning to Dr. Ford. What was her approach? Well, her approach was, well, first of all, I should say the reason they brought her in was to avoid this appearance of a line of um, white, older men questioning um, in unsensitive, you know, potentially unsensitive ways, uh, uh, you know, victim, uh, alleged victim of a violent sexual assault. What we saw from Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. Exactly. Right. So to avoid that type of moment. So um, Rachel Mitchell was selected and, you know, the members of the committee uh, had said it was to keep it um, calm, keep it professional, to keep, uh, you know, to keep it on a fact-finding type of level rather than having it turn into any sort of attack or Mm -hmm. accusation or um, look like it was a partisan um, questioning. And so maybe an offshoot of that, I mean, I'm no expert when it comes to legal matters, but it seemed to me Mitchell's questioning was maybe not as effective as the GOP might have wanted it to be. It felt it felt to me that it was hard for her to gain momentum five minutes at a time. Did right. the GOP make a mistake here? Do they, by tapping um, Mitchell in, resp- in retrospect? Well, some people were obviously saying that criticism, that, um, that she did not poke the holes in the story and she did not, um, you know, in, interrogate uh, Ford. And members of the committee, though, after leaving in interviews, you know, they said that they got what they wanted out of uh, Mitchell's questioning, that it was fact-based, it was drama-free, it was um, compassionate and sensitive to uh, what Ford had gone through. Uh, they didn't express any regrets about that. But certainly... Um, um, outside observers uh, were hoping to see someone get in there and do more of the dirty work, do more mm. pressing and more, um, you know, trying to to really press her on some of these holes they feel are in her story and, and why she can't remember some of these things that seem like obvious things you would have remembered, like the location yeah. or the time of year. And when you bring up like trying to dig for those holes or those gaps in her stories, at the end, though, it seemed to me, and I think the sentiment on social media and, and by a lot of people, is that she did come across as honest and she came across as credible. Yes, and even uh, we've even heard from people in the White House who, and, and allies of the president who all agree that she seemed credible. Um, I mean, now they will caveat that by saying that they believe something happened to her, that she suffered a, a very difficult event, but that because it's uncorroborated and because there were no witnesses of this party, let alone the attack, and because there are so many um, 
missing pieces of her story about basic things like the timing and the location, Mm -hmm. that that is not enough in their minds to change their assessment of that Kavanaugh should be should be confirmed, but no one at this point is saying I, that I've heard from either Republicans on the committee or people in the White House uh, are questioning whether she is genuine and sincere in her account. So I want to just draw the parallels between this and Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. What was the tone and the, the questioning of today's hearing? How was it different today than it was back then? Well, having Rachel Mitchell do the questioning was extremely uh, was an ext- you know, extreme difference. And as we pointed out earlier, there um, was this concern that um, the the Republican members in particular would seem unsympathetic to her and she would seem uh, more of a victim uh, and that this would be about not getting to the facts, but trying to uh, have a partisan battle. Um, Instead, Mitchell's questioning was very very, very fact-based. Um, she made few points, except for at the very end, where she sort of made this, uh, she had her own sort of editorializing or opinionating of this, saying that, you know, she felt this was not the best place for this uh, questioning to be carrying out in a committee, and that, um, you know, that the, the committee would have been willing to do this in private, and that this was not the appropriate venue to be questioning a victim of sexual assault at a public hearing um, like this. Um, but, you know, I think that that did really um, take out a lot of the um, contentiousness um, that some people would have liked, some Republicans are saying they would have liked to have seen more of. What did Dr. Ford's testimony do to Judge Kavanaugh's nomination? Well, now the question really is whether it changed any Republicans' minds about voting to confirm him, not even changed their minds about whether or not they believe he did this, but changed their minds as to whether or not they think he should still get to serve on the Supreme Court, um, or if they now have some doubts in their mind um, that they, and having doubts is enough for them not to vote to nominate him. Uh, there will be a committee vote, which is still supposed to take place tomorrow. Um, so that's the first hurdle. But then, of course, it's got to go before the full Senate, and they can't lose more than two Republicans. So there's two Republicans who now have a question in their mind um, about whether um, Kavanaugh you know, uh, committed this assault, uh, I mean, it did give them a compelling witness uh, to point to, to say, uh, you know, I just can't go forward with this. Given I don't know what the answer is, but I have a shadow of doubt in my mind. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. that's sort of the next, uh, the next step here. Shannon Pettipiece, thanks so much. Thank you. Jordan, I want to turn to you now. I just asked Shannon about the difference between this hearing and, and Clarence Thomas's hearing with Anita Hill. But what's the difference culturally between now and then? So for this past year, we've been living in the Me Too era. So that means that for the past year, we've really had this mindset shift of who could be a perpetrator of sexual harassment, sexual assault in this uh, country and in the world. And so now with that lens, when we get a story like Christine Blasey Ford saying that, you know, 30 years ago, I faced a sexual assault or sexual harassment, we're more primed to hear mm-hmm. that story and, and understand what those terms mean. You know, as the day went on, you really got a sense on social media of a momentum building, like the movement really building up in the day. What was the day like for women who were watching at home on cable news, on, on you know, social, social media? 
during this hearing, um, it was a very difficult day for women. You know, there were so many hashtags uh, trending on Twitter, like I believe uh, Christine Blasey Ford, um, the why didn't report was still trending. And just like my group chats were very, very active of people saying it was emotional to actually hear this story, make something about their past experiences. And just seeing that for hours, I would say like in the past year, we've read about sexual harassment and assault. This is like one of the few times we sat for hours and heard in detail mm. someone recount that experience. During the hearing, there were a lot of questions about why Dr. Ford waited so long to tell her story, and they really honed in on specific parts of her memory, uh, gaps in her memory. How do researchers explain why people wait so long to report these situations of sexual harassment? The Department of Justice says that, you know, two out of three sexual assault uh, allegations are actually not mm-hmm. reported to the police. So we're only seeing the uh, tip of the iceberg. And so one of the reasons is that it's humiliating and it feels embarrassing to have to recount in detail um, all of the things mm. that someone has done to you. It's very personal. But then also there's that fear that you won't be believed, that maybe you you have to tell this story to a man who might not understand, you know, what women face and that no change will happen. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of times people just um, downplay or just keep it to themselves. I think it's safe to say that this is a pretty historical day in our country. Yes. Um, can you break down some of the gender and racial dynamics at play here? For sure. Everyone's been making the connection uh, to Anita Hill. And then today, obviously, there's very um, similar instances happening Mm -hmm. right now. One thing that uh, one conversation that's happening on Twitter right now is just how uh, Christine Blasey Ford is being um, received. Obviously, it's 27 years later. We understand sexual harassment allegations. But for her, she's a white woman compared to Anita Mm -hmm. Hill was a black woman. A lot of uh, research points to that she can be more vulnerable. She can tear up and people will acknowledge that when that's not the case. Uh, Different women, women of color get penalized for that. So that's at play. And then also who's questioning her. Mm -hmm. Um, You have another female prosecutor, but uh, all of the Republican senators on this committee are men. So there's still that optics of who's asking the questions and who's being asked Mm -hmm. to share their experience. So what can we say in a positive way that today's testimony by Dr. Ford did for for millions of women, for the Me Too movement, for any movement that involves sexual assault? I think hearing this story on such a large platform is in some ways comforting to Mm -hmm. women to see that this is this is a symbol of bravery. While like you have really just pushed this movement forward, Tarana Burke, who is the founder of uh, the Me Too movement, um, was crying mm. after listening to this. So just h- having all those stories come together and to remember this moment that this woman, you know, had everything to lose, but still wanted to say this story. She said it felt like her civic duty, and so I just think that's really going to be memorable. As Shannon said. You know, the, the Senate Judiciary Committee is still scheduled to vote Friday morning. What happens if Friday morning Judge Kavanaugh goes to a full, a full Senate vote? And then what happens if Judge Kavanaugh is confirmed by the Senate by a majority vote and is the next justice on the Supreme Court? What does that do for this movement? 
I think for the women who are really feeling for Christine Blasey Ford, it's going to be discouraging. It's going to be discouraging to know that you can still tell your story and seem credible and people say that they believe you, but still that your you know, alleged harasser still gets mm-hmm. this very powerful position. I don't think that it ends the movement in any way. I think it's just really energized people, especially you know, just six weeks from a midterm election. There's a direct action that someone can have if they want to translate these feelings of distress or hopelessness, they can put that towards voting. Bloomberg Shannon Pettypiece and Jordan Holman, thank you. You can follow Shannon on Twitter at SPettyPie, and Jordan is at Jordan Journals. That's a TikTok for today. We'll be back tomorrow with part two of this series, a look at Judge Kavanaugh's portion of the hearing and what it means for the GOP. Thanks for listening, and please head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm Dave Myers. You can follow me on Twitter at David F. Myers, and you can get all your updates 24-7 at TikTok.